Welcome to the Teen Life Coach Podcast. I'm Coach Sammy, and I am so glad you are here. The teen years can be fun and exciting, but also filled with self-doubt, insecurities, and lots of frustration. I am here to help you along your teen journey and make sure you enjoy your teen years as much as possible. Let's get started. Welcome to the podcast today. You guys, I have had the opportunity and the pleasure to get to know Adam Robarts, and he's here on the podcast today. He is the author of 19, 19 Insights Learned from a 19-Year-Old with Cancer. And you guys, this book is amazing. I cried through a lot of it because I've had a similar experience in my life, um, losing my sister from cancer, but I have wanted to have him on the podcast today to really talk about what he has learned from watching his son go through this experience and really what we can all take from this book and take from his knowledge in facing the challenges that we all have, like whether it's cancer or whether it's a mental health issue, or maybe your parents are going through a divorce. I think this book is such a great example of overcoming adversity and being resilient and really taking life and learning lessons as you're going along. And so Adam, he's actually an architect turned author, (laughs) actually a very well-known architect. (laughs) Go ahead and introduce yourself, Adam. We're so happy to have you here on the podcast. Sammy, thank you. It's a real honor to be with you and your listeners. Well, what to say? Yes, I'm an architect and uh, that's my day job. But I had a really interesting experience when I was uh, in 2013. My father passed away with cancer and actually I had the chance to be with him when he passed. And it was a very powerful experience for me. Of course, it was sad, but actually it felt like I was in a very sacred space and holding dad and being with him. It was intimate. It was touching. It was, I don't I have to be careful using this word, but it was profoundly spiritual and it had a deep impression on me. So interestingly, 2018, I was in Canada because my wife is Canadian and we were having our winter holiday with family in Canada. We're all around the table and we went around and everyone was asked to share what they would do or what they would like to be if they weren't doing what they did. And so I thought, wow, if I wasn't an architect, what would I want to do? And somehow I spurted out, I would like to be a hospice nurse. And I think people around the table thought, whoa, that's, some people thought, wow, that's really heavy. And some people thought that's really beautiful. And it was because of this experience I had with dad. Now, I never imagined in my wildest days that literally eight months later, my 19-year-old son, Hayden, would be diagnosed with a brain tumor. And so that began a journey of nine and a bit months with Hayden, going in and out of hospitals and with surgery and radiation, chemotherapy. And actually in the end, Hayden didn't make it. Um, But it was a very profound experience for us. And in the end, actually, it was a positive experience as well as being grueling and tough. And you talk about adversity. I don't think I've ever done anything that was as much true adversity as this was. But at the same time, being together as a family around Hayden when he took his last breath was a positive experience, as much as we could make it so, you know? And it was gentle and kind and 
loving, surrounded by love. And although it was sad and tragic, I thought, you know, many people don't experience death like this. They experience it as something, you know, scary and maybe a bit dark and frightening. And anyway, so I thought I wanted to write a book, you know, not about Hayden, but really about what we learned, you know, in this journey together and how this 19-year-old faced adversity, how he climbed this Himalayan mountain, you know, that he was presented with. He didn't choose it. And how we as a family became his climb team, how we supported him, how we tried to give him the right kind of support. And so actually one of the chapters is called Accompaniment, because I learned a lot about how to accompany somebody. And actually there's a bit of a twist at the end of the book, which is I actually note that Hayden really accompanied me. You know, this was my journey too. And we climbed this mountain together. And I will be forever grateful for this young lad and all that we learnt together. I mean, I miss him like heck. I really do. And I think I always will. He enriched my life in a way that I could never, ever have imagined because of adversity. So, yeah, I'm now an author and the book is being has been published in May of this year and actually just about to begin a book tour. So very excited about that in Canada, the US, and the UK. So that's my life at the moment. But I should share, in addition to Hayden, I have three other children. So I have four wonderful children. I still say when people say, how many kids do you have? I say four, because Hayden is still so much part of my life and my inspiration. And I don't want to sort of just suddenly take him off the list like he's not one of my children. Of course he is. So I have four children. Um, at one point, they were all teenagers. Um, two of them are no longer so. <laughs> but I have a 17-year-old son. Um, and we live in Bali as a family. After Hayden's passing in Canada, we moved to Bali, beautiful island in Indonesia. And I live here with our youngest, Kion, and my wife, Karen, who has been my wife, my best friend, my supporter since we got married 27 years ago. Gosh, can you believe it? I must sound really old. But uh, that's that's my life. That's a little bit of a, a sort of snapshot. I have a few questions to ask you as as a reader. <laughs> what what was the purpose for you to write this book? Because as you were saying, I think when mm. we go through these experiences, they are very sacred to us. And I think it's really, really hard to share such a sacred, profound, close experience to other people. So yeah. what is the message of your book that you would like people to take from this book and from your experience? Mm, thank you. That's a beautiful question. First of all, the book didn't just come out of nowhere, right? So during our journey with Hayden, I, I mentioned it's about nine and a half months from the diagnosis until he passed. I used to write emails um, about once a week, just sort of to friends and family. And sometimes Hayden would chip in and he'd he'd write something. Those were always the bits that people liked the most, you know, a note from Hayden or a comment from Hayden. Often these emails were requests for prayers as well. We were about to start radiation or about something something hadn't gone well and we wanted to therefore 
let people know, but also say, you know, keep us in your prayers for next Tuesday or whatever it was. And these emails at the end of our journey, somebody said to me, actually a series of people said, why don't you turn these emails into a book? Because they were inspiring. We felt we could join you on this journey. And it was a journey that was a, a bumpy road, but it was full of love and learning and so many lessons. So that was kind of where it started, um, the emails and wanting to sort of share that because people felt they were useful, they were interesting. Some of them were inspiring, perhaps. I think those are the bits that Hayden wrote. <laughs> and But it was also a way of processing for me. You know, I've been through this extraordinary journey and I needed to process. For me, it was almost my therapy, you know, was to write. Um, and there were times when I was writing when I would be wailing, you know, I'd be crying with tears just pouring down my face. And there were times when I would just be smiling <laughs> because I just felt those joyous moments we had with Hayden and lessons that were just like gems that came, you know, to me during my research for the writing and during the writing itself. The lesson of the book, first of all, it may sound like a tragedy. Of course, it is a tragic story, but it's a tragedy that has so many beautiful lessons. And actually, I think what I've learned is that by facing all of life, you know, the good and the bad, you know, the easy and the difficult, and that therefore includes death, you know, we can actually live our lives more fully. You know, when you take a part of life, especially a really important part of life, like our, like the end of our life, what do we want to be remembered for? You know, what would happen if I was told I was going to die next week? How would I live this next week? You know, what if I was told I was going to die tomorrow? How would I live my last day? I think it gives perspective to life. And so this actually is really not a book about dying, but it's a book about living more fully, um, more purposefully, more meaningfully. And actually, people who've read it have come to me and said some beautiful things. Like a parent said, you know, this is a this is a parenting book. <laughs> and actually, last week here in Bali, somebody held up the book and said, this is a survival book. And I was just touched and deeply moved that it could have that kind of impact. And I especially think that this book will be helpful, or I, I hope it will be helpful to young people. You know, Hayden was 19. And I think he was a, a normal 19-year-old. And I think people identify with him. Young people identify with him. And what gave him the strength to face such a difficult challenge, such adversity, you know? And I, when he was told, of course, he wanted, he wanted to be healthy. He wanted to get on with his university. You know, he wanted to become an architect. He wanted to to do things, to change the world, to make it a better place. He didn't want to die. But when he was faced with that, how did he cope? How did he manage? You know, did he just go in the corner and weep uncontrollably and just feel hopeless? Or did he find somehow a way that enabled him to be hopeful? And actually, it was the latter. You know, one of the chapters is, is called Hope. And where does that come from? Um, I think that chapter addresses it. And where does faith come from? That's another chapter. Where does happiness come from? You know, that's another chapter, <laughs> you know. And so I think the book, I hope it's an important book. You know, it's not a book you can hand to somebody and say, oh, I hope you enjoy it. 
I mean, there are moments when I think you will enjoy it, but as you said, you cried reading it. I and did. I've had pe- <laughs> I I've cried had- a lot. <laughs> you know, one one father who has two teenage kids wrote to me, and he said, "It's really extraordinary. I read your book, and I'm sitting there crying, but then I put the book down, and I just feel so much. I feel full, and I feel warm, and I feel comfort and hope." So it's this extraordinary relationship between, you know, this crying because of the empathy with the story, but at the same time thinking, wow, human beings are amazing. Every one of us, every one of us is an amazing creation. We are created noble and powerful. And sometimes it takes adversity to show that to show us how noble and how powerful we can each be, even a 19-year-old. Which, by the way, I just want to say, Hayden Hayden had everything going for him, right? Like, like he had... He was... mm -hmm. Well, this is a really interesting one, especially when I talk with teenagers, Um, because... I don't want to make Hayden out to be a saint, right? I mean, he was an amazing 19-year-old, and he was, a, a, I think, a thoroughly good guy. He was smart. He did well in school. He loved playing soccer. Um, he was funny. He was good-looking. You know, he was about to become an architect. He did have a lot going for him. He was privileged. He really was, you know. And that may be hard for people who are not in a privileged position. But Hayden was very aware of his privilege. He didn't take it for granted. You know, he he said when he heard that his cancer had spread from his brain to his spine, he said, you know, please don't feel sorry for me. You know, don't feel sad for my family. I've had an, he said, I've had an incredible life. You know, we should celebrate that. That's something to be grateful for. He was full of gratitude. And So he was conscious of his privilege and he didn't want to take it for granted. And he felt a real sense of wanting to to help others, you know, to be with others, to get his hands dirty. You know, in the year, in the in the months before his diagnosis, he'd been in China and in Chile, um, in his kind of what in the UK is called a gap year, a year, so a year of service. Um, and in China, he was sort of really brushing up on his Chinese. And he was working with a group of junior youth, so sort of like 12 to 15-year-olds uh, in the neighborhood where he was living. And um, they would gather every week, and he would be an animator of this very sort of straightforward you know, junior youth group. And they would do wonderful things. They would clean up the park, and they would help elderly people, and they would create projects that for them were meaningful. And Hayden animated that. He inspired them. He kind of accompanied them. And then he went to Chile and he worked in the Baha'i gardens at the house of worship there in Santiago. And, you know, he was raking leaves and building fences and benches and things like that, you know, getting his hands dirty to beautify a place that people could come to and find refuge and a place where actually sometimes in the weekends the Baha'i house of worship in Santiago is packed with people. They don't have to be Baha'is. They're just people who go to a beautiful place 
to take refuge and solace and to meditate and maybe pray and just be in nature. And Hayden was there helping to beautify it. So he enjoyed things like that. You know, that was that was the, the person we're talking about, not not pretentious or feeling better than anybody else, but just mucking in. And lo and behold, he got cancer, but he didn't give up. He didn't pack it in and say, woe is me. In fact, he never said, why me? There's something I say in the book, you know, he never once said, why me? In fact, I think if anything, he might have said, why not me? Right. You know, he didn't feel sorry for himself. And that's one thing that, that I, I love about your book is you're very, you're very real with how things went down. <laughs> you talk about the struggles you had and the mistakes you made and how hard it was on your marriage and how hard it was amongst the other siblings. Like you don't create like, Oh, this, it was a quote unquote beautiful experience because it was, there's those parts of the book. Yes, for sure. But you're also very real about, about the ugly and being in it. And, um, that's one thing that I, I loved about the book also is, like you weren't trying to create a beautiful picture out of this tragedy, but really also tell the story of how hard it was and how each of you struggled individually. Wow. Thank you for saying that. There's a section actually on page 30 that I think is really interesting. Can I just read a couple of sentences, a few sentences from the book? Yes, Maybe some of, of your listeners might enjoy of- it because I think it relates to what you mentioned. Yeah. I say this and it's in the chapter on acceptance. Actually, acceptance is is the second chapter. And it says, resilient people understand that suffering is part of life, part of every human existence. Understanding this stops us from feeling discriminated against when the tough times come. Instead of thinking, why me? The resilient person thinks, why not me? Such acceptance enables us to climb whatever mountain we have before us. For sure, Hayden asked, how are we going to do this? But he never asked why. And there's a quote after that from Abdul Baha'i, which she says, the more difficulties one sees in the world, the more perfect one becomes. The more you plow and dig the ground, the more fertile it becomes. The more you cut the branches of a tree, the higher and stronger it grows. The more you put the gold in the fire, the purer it becomes. The more you sharpen the steel by grinding, the better it cuts. Therefore, the more sorrows one sees, the more perfect one becomes. You know, happiness and sorrow go together. You can't just have happiness. You know, it always is followed by sorrow. And you can't just have sorrow. Sorrow always is followed by happiness. So there's always hope. And so I think for all of your listeners, it wasn't just Hayden climbing that mountain. We're all climbing our mountains, you know, as you said, Sammy. And when we find that the going is really tough, remember that the knife gets sharp when it has to go against the stone. That's actually how you sharpen it, you know. And when you plow the field, it becomes fertile. And lives that are led from a sofa are not meaningful lives. You know, lives that are led out in the field, in the battlefield, on the mountains, 
that challenge us. Those lives are strong, rich. So we should not fear our mountains, you know, rather just embrace them. I know it's easy to say that, and of course it's really difficult, but embracing challenge is a really important part of becoming who were we who we were created to be, you know. And I think sometimes in Eastern cultures, you know, I'm living in Bali now and Hayden grew up in China. There are beautiful understandings, deep reflections on this, you know, that the greatest of human beings are those who've suffered the most. It's often the case, you know, your listeners who are really struggling with anxiety or depression or loneliness, that's okay. It's okay. Times will get better, you know, and there's no such thing as a life that is only sorrowful. It will be followed by happiness. Promise. Absolute promise. Hold on to that hope. First of all, interesting thing about hope. It's easy to say have hope, but then like, yeah, okay. But hope that is just wishful thinking isn't very useful, right? It might be nice for a few moments, but it's not got a foundation. And so in the chapter on hope, I mentioned that I think hope, true hope that is not wishful thinking, but that is real, that is sustaining, that is life-giving, that is inspiring, that calls us forward to the summit, must be founded on a strong mountain. And to me, the real mountain is faith. You know, I think when we ground our lives on faith, then we have the foundation for hope. And actually the foundation for many things, including happiness. And so the question when I talk about faith is also, I don't just mean belief and I don't mean religion and I don't mean, you know, some sort of superstition or hocus pocus. I mean, real faith, you know, solid, rock solid faith. Where do you find that? You know, and I mean faith that may be in religion, but may also be in science and hopefully will be in both because faith is really important. We need those strong foundations, you know, if we're going to have hope. And I think Hayden was a man who had amazing faith. He loved science. He read a lot, you know, and he had a book beside his bed about Elon Musk and he studied physics at high school. And But he also had faith in things that science can't explain, in things spiritual. You know, he was a Baha'i and he had friends who were Christians and Muslims and Buddhists, Hindus, um, people who didn't necessarily want a label for their faith. Hayden was open to all of that. And he he found his faith, whether in science or in religion, by asking questions. I think this is really important, especially for teenagers. Never stop asking questions. You know, that way you will always be open. That way you will never just stop learning. Keep an open mind. Ask questions. Go to places that are uncomfortable to ask those questions. And when you find something that feels like an answer, don't just put it on the shelf, put it to the test. I think faith is, is about finding knowledge, conscious knowledge, and then expressing that in good deeds. That's faith, you know, and that's the mountain that can get us through life and all of the vicissitudes and difficulties and adversities of life. I would encourage you, ask questions and don't just ask blindly, but 
independently investigate truth, you know, not just follow blindly what our parents or grandparents did or what my religion or my culture or my schooling taught me, but independently investigate the truth. I think that's something I loved about Hayden. You know, he loved reading. He loved asking questions. And I think because he was interested in others and the way they thought, other cultures, uh, other ways of living, he became interesting. That's the way to be an interesting person is be interested, you know, and go out and ask those questions. We posted a reel on our Instagram post. Uh, that's 19.book. And it was a young person, Sophie, talking about her experience with the book. And I think it's one of the most beautiful things we've been able to share and might might be relevant to your younger listeners. And actually, Sophie says exactly this. She, she says, especially for young people before the pandemic, everything was just going so fast. Um, so much is coming at us, especially with social media. And one can feel just lost and disoriented and confused and overwhelmed. And she said, we really have time to pause and reflect on the big questions. You know, the big questions like, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, and why? And what, what do I want to accomplish in my life? But she said there are a few situations that sometimes come along, like an extreme illness or the knowledge that you might be about to die because of cancer or whatever, that absolutely force you to pause and to reflect and to think deeper, to find that stillness in the middle of the wildest storm, you know, find that calm that is nourishing to the soul, you know, actually even to find the soul that is each one of us, our core being. And she said, it's, it's amazing that this book, she said, Hayden, I, I wrote a note here. She said, it's a prompt to ask those questions without having to go through those situations ourselves. You know, yes. it's, <laughs> And I hope that the book will do that, you know, for, for people who read it is I went through that Himalayan adversity and lost my 19 year old son. Doesn't mean that everyone has to do that to get these lessons. You know, we can share and people can have their mountains. And it's not that my mountain was more steep or more scary than anybody else's. No, we shouldn't ever compare ourselves. Stop comparing ourselves to each other that's a big message <laughs> you know but pause if we spent all the time that we do comparing ourselves to each other and instead paused to reflect on the really important things that matter in our lives you know what am i doing here how can i make a contribution you know and if i'm unique if i'm unique and if sammy you are unique. And every one of our listeners just pauses to think, I'm a unique creation. Science tells us that. There are no two people identical. Well, if I'm unique and I don't make my contribution, well, nobody else can make it, right? And for the rest of history, that contribution to society 
to our environment, to our reality, will remain unmade. We will miss it. So I think this is really important. You know, if I'm the only person who can make my contribution, well, it's important I pause and think, what is my contribution? What can I do? Even if it's very humble, even if it's very simple. Because when I do those things that make a difference, when I feel, gosh, maybe this is my contribution to the world. You know, maybe Sammy making her Knowing Up podcast, you're doing something that is unique. You know, it's your gift. And that must make you feel worthy, valued, useful. And when you feel useful, it's very hard to feel depressed. Sophie so said let's it. make ourselves useful. Let's make ourselves useful. And let's go, let's go to those places where we know we can be useful, but maybe we're afraid to go there. You know, we're afraid to go there. I know I can be useful helping out at that soup kitchen, but do I really want to go there and be with all these homeless people and serve them soup? Go there. Because if that's the way you can be useful, do it. You know, if working with the elderly will make you feel useful, go there. Don't wait. Helping out with the environment, cleaning a park, you know, cleaning up a river in Bali that's full of plastic bags and trash. If you do that and it will make yourself feel useful, go there. Don't put it off. So, so many good things that you've said today. And you guys, I, I highly recommend you go read the book because it really is. Sophie said it much better than the way that I said it, <laughs> but, but it just really, it takes the distractions away all the things that our brain likes to focus on and all the things that we think matter. And it really just kind of like brings us to this point where we do ask, we do need to ask ourselves some questions like, who am I? Who do I want to be? Um, what do I want my contribution to be? Like you said, and I, I love the question that you asked at the beginning of the podcast was, if I were going to die next week, what would I spend my last seven days doing? Like, what, what would you do if you knew that you were going to die soon? Like, how would you live your life differently than, than how you live it now? That that's one thing that I just think is, is a gift that challenges give us is to answer those questions. One question that I have left for you, it's really, it's really not about your book, but I do get asked this question all the time. And I think that you are the perfect person to, to answer this is when somebody that you love is going through a trial of this magnitude, what is the appropriate thing to say? What have people done to show you that they love you, that you will remember? Thank you for asking that. That's such a practical question. And, you know, I'm asking this question because it's like for me to get on this podcast and be like, Adam, I'm sorry for your loss. Like, I just don't feel like words are enough. Um, you and are so, so right. You are, you so, are I, so right. And you know, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was gonna say, I almost feel like that just sounds cheesy. Like, um, yeah, it's like, that mm. doesn't even scratch the surface. So maybe, maybe you can help the listeners, um, answer that, answer that question if you're willing. So I don't think there's a one size fits all answer, you know, a really easy thing I can give you to say, because actually, Sammy, I think you're right. Sometimes words are not necessarily the best gift. They're not necessarily the best solace 
and comfort to somebody who's going through a tragedy. So I'm looking back at our journey with Hayden. Hayden had some friends, you know, peers, um, who he'd gone to school with or he'd served with in Chile or, you know, done things with. There was one lad who had just started university at McGill in Montreal, Canada. And you know what he did? He got on a train. One time he got on a flight and he came from Montreal to Toronto where Hayden was in hospital going through his chemotherapy. And what he did was he just offered to sit in the chair beside Hayden's bed and to be there through the night. And it was really amazing how this young man, Kian, helped Hayden to be able to sleep because he knew there was someone else in the room, you know, somebody who would be there for him if he needed to get up or he needed a glass of water or just somebody to accompany him, to be with him. What a gift, you know, far more than words. And I remember as a family, when in the very last weeks of Hayden's life, we were in Ottawa um, by a lake. We were at our sort of summer cottage with Hayden, and we knew that we didn't have long left with him. And one family from my mother-in-law's church, Karen came from a quite a strong Christian family, and um, her mother-in-law is part of a local church. And one family from the church said, look, how about we come and just cook? on your lawn. It was time of COVID, right? They couldn't come inside the house. And they put this Coleman stove and they cooked dinner for us. And they just put it on the step and left. And then we had this delicious home-cooked dinner that had been cooked in our garden by a neighboring family. What a way to support us, you know, that we didn't have to be thinking about making a meal that day. And actually they cooked so much, there was enough for the next day as well. And so I think doing things like bringing someone a meal, you know, or sitting beside them, you know, when they're in their hospital bed, um, maybe just massaging their feet, you know, it might be that, you know, do you want me to give you a foot massage? You know, things like that can be very comforting and more powerful than words. We talked about faith earlier, and I think that the essence of faith is abundance of deeds, you know, fewness of words, and abundance of deeds. Mm. So let's find out what it is that that person going through the tragedy would really like. You know, they might like a a new cardigan or a sweater that they can wear or take to the hospital. You know, they, they might like a gift. They might like some food. They might like just, just time with you. And sometimes they might then ask, or they may ask something and say, what do you think about the purpose of life? And then you can have a conversation and meaningful conversations is the most precious gift, you know, where we can actually accompany somebody who's asking those questions, but needs a sounding board, needs a friend in the room. And sometimes it can be as simple as just giving someone a smile, giving somebody a smile can brighten their day, you know, so we, we get tied up in knots thinking, what should I say to this person? <laughs> Don't worry about the saying. That will follow. You know, when you smile and they feel cheered up, they might then say, what do you think about this? Or, and then the conversation starts and that becomes a very precious gift. Thank you for answering that question. Are there, are there any last like little pieces of advice that you would give to teens growing up today? 
I feel that it's really hard to be a teenager today. You know, it's like being in a tsunami. And I don't just mean with social media. I think we, the generation before you and the generations before us, we've left a mess for you. You know, the world's environment, the world's politics, the world's economics are really in a mess. And I'm sad that that's what you're inheriting. It's not fair. It's really not fair to be in this tsunami and you being expected now to fix it. <laughs> How dare we? How dare we do that to you? So I think it's really tough to be a teen now. And I think the first step is to accept. Just accept, okay, this is the mess that we're in. <laughs> you know, don't, don't sort of punish yourself and blame yourself. Just accept. That's the first step. That's like getting on the mountain. And then do what you can. Do what you can. You don't have to solve all the world's problems. But even if you solve one, you help one person today. Don't put it off till tomorrow. The minute you finish listening to this podcast, go and do one thing for somebody else and see how, it, how they feel and see how you feel. And then let that become your habit every day. And then give yourself a moment. I do this every night before I go to bed. I think of three things I'm grateful for. And that's like a little pat on the shoulder to say, I'm really grateful <laughs> that I had the chance to help that person. Or I'm really grateful that, you know, so-and-so came and sat next to me at school, you know, and that felt, that made me feel good. I think gratitude is the foundation of happiness. Sometimes we think happiness leads to gratitude. That is not true. Science has shown that really, if we want happiness, it starts with gratitude and gratitude for the smallest things. And that's a habit that I didn't have, but I've started to develop every three, every and every night, three things I'm grateful for. And I think it's making me happier as a human being. So those would be my loving and humble suggestions. But find your own and share them with me. I'd love it. I'd love to learn from you, you know? And if you could, if you want a conversation, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I'm no expert in anything. Maybe I can do some architecture, but, you know, <laughs> share it. Share it with us on on Instagram. If you want to follow us on 19.book, that's spelt, right? N-I-N-E-T-W-E-N.book. That's your Instagram handle, 19.book. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then where, where can listeners find your book? Do you have a website? Tell sure. Us all the so things. we have, a, we, we have a book, which is, um, 19 dot life. Okay. And that's, that's our website where you'll find details about our upcoming book tour. And you'll learn a little bit more about Hayden, if that's of interest. And also as we hear about people, um, doing service projects around the world, whether it's cleaning a river or planting trees or, you know, creating music, you know, in an orphanage or whatever you might choose to do. Sometimes people are doing projects in Hayden's name because they've been inspired by his life um, and his approach to, to living, which was reflected in his approach to dying. And we, we put those projects, those service projects up on the website so you can see what other people are doing and you can maybe contribute your own, and we'll pop it on the website as well. So the website, 19.life, and the book, uh, the Instagram and Facebook um, social media is 19.book. 
and uh, follow us and let's 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 make a little bit of a conversation together i'd really appreciate that i'd love to learn from you and mention that you heard about this book through sammy's podcast because then i'll know what the connection is that would be fun purchase the book how do how do the listeners get the book so you can find it on most online retailers so okay. amazon walmart target okay um it's available through all of those just search 19 um and my name is adam robarts the author um and yeah you'll find us there there are a couple of co-authors you could search their names karen Alkvist or lou aronica and um, we did this together i was the main author of course but they gave me a bit of a hand i really appreciate that yeah. So yeah, we're on we're on any of the online platforms. Wherever you buy books, it should be there. And some bookstores are also carrying it. But if they don't, ask them to carry it, okay. and uh, yeah, get them to order it. All right. Thank you. Thank you for coming. I'll be thinking about whoever this is going out to and wishing you well as you climb your mountains. Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you. Hey guys. Do you want more? If you are ready to work with me in one of my coaching programs for teens, check out my website, knowingup.com. That's K-N-O-W-I-N-G-U-P.com. Whatever you are struggling with, whether big or small, I can help. We learn so much more in my programs than what is offered here on the podcast. Come join me, you guys. See you soon.